Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is an unspoiled network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering The Haunting of Hill House. Season 1, Episode 4, The Twin Thing. In this episode, we get to find out what happened, at least in part, to Luke. And this poor dude has been through it. And I just have nothing but sympathy for the poor guy. I really do. He's like the one that I probably feel the most sympathy for in some ways. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Candace for commissioning this episode. Candace, where are you? Maybe I should send her a text, guys. Um, and this episode I watched on live, as I have on all the other ones. And again, I have to tell you guys that... Oh, I texted her. She's here already. Ha <laughs> um, I... The only thing that's tough with this show for me, because Candace, you know, was under the impression I didn't like it. You're wrong. I really do. But it is, it's difficult for me. It's tough. I want to rewatch episodes for the finer details, but I do not want to experience rewatching them again. Does that make sense? So I want to have rewatched it, but I don't want to do the rewatching. And I... This one for, like, out of all four of them, even though this one definitely is scary in its parts, that wasn't what held me back. It was so painful. Everything that happens with Luke is so painful. And in such a way that it just feels like the deck was completely stacked against him. And I don't want to, you know take agency away from people or imply that we don't make the choices that we make. Of course we do. But Luke's whole situation from a child is people not believing him when he tells them things that have happened to him. And this, after the episode where 
Theo finds out about this girl getting molested, it just really rang in that sense for me. You know, it's not, he's experiencing something that's supernatural and not being believed, but it feels like the kind of thing that a child would experience if they attempted to tell someone about an abuse they're suffering and people just not wanting to hear it. And that kind of lack of belief from people that are supposed to protect and trust you is the kind of thing, like I personally have not experienced it. And I don't think I would because both my parents were molested as kids. So I think that were I to have gone through that and I tried to tell them, I think my parents immediately would have been like, where the fuck are they? Like they would have believed me instantly because they know, unfortunately from personal experience, how pervasive that is. But I was, you know, it's such a fucked up thing to be like, thank God for my parents' trauma. But no, obviously not. It's just, there are so many people out there who tried to tell someone and weren't believed for a variety of reasons. The family was very close to the person doing it and they didn't want to believe it. Or the person doing it was someone in an authority position and they you know, the family felt like they couldn't do anything, perhaps, or, you know, really felt like the kid was exaggerating what was happening to them. And um, I just kept getting sort of that energy from this, him trying to say things and warn his family. He, he, you know, he goes up to his dad and says, like, the house is bad. And it's immediately followed up by his dad being like, uh, this hat's only for big boys who know the difference between what's real and what's not real. And I was just like, ew. It, it's not just the dismissiveness of it on the face of it, although that's so gross also. But there's also the just the simple aspect of like, how about you don't completely quash your child's sense of imagination and wonderment. Like that's the other thing that I felt was sort of weird about it is just, well, do you know what the difference between what's real and what's not real? Like kids know the difference. They're not morons, dude. It's us that have the problem. That's always, it's, that's always the case, you know? And I just hated that moment for him because you see Luke, make an active attempt to like swallow it down and put a lid on it. And for what? For a fucking hat that can cause him to get haunted later. Super great. Um, also, there's the obvious sort of metaphor of this bowler hat guy sort of following Luke around. And it's unclear to me exactly how often this has been happening because the way that it it like times out within the show it feels like this guy is following luke now because he was triggered by the death of nell like her death somehow caused this guy to return or maybe caused luke to remember him in a way that he hadn't but it may be that this is the first time Luke has seen him because like in a while because he is sober now. And maybe when he was high, he managed to get around this sort of like 
vision, you know? And that was why he was using, was to just avoid seeing this fucking thing, which I can't help but fucking understand. Um, Or it was just this sort of result of like a panic of abandonment. Maybe he hadn't seen him in a while. And then this girl like bails that he has started to get close to from the treatment program. And it, it causes a feeling of abandonment, which like spurs something. And none of that is to say that I don't think that this guy is real. Cause I definitely think he's real, but it feels like maybe he is linked to Luke in a way that is beyond just, Oh, I'm following you for the rest of your life. But, you know, like I was starting to say before I sidetracked myself, the obvious metaphor here is Luke being haunted by something that feels like his addiction, you know, that it it's never far behind him. And it's always ready to, to, to reposition itself in his life the instant that he, like, starts to drop his guard. But I don't feel like that's actually it. Like, it's, it's a tempting metaphor. I don't really think that's it. So I'm not going to give that one too much time. Um, Let's see. Candace says, I think what's happening with these parents uh, is they bit off more than they could chew with this house. Sorry, Candace, you got a bunch of typos in there. And choices that might be otherwise passable are just bad. Theory, Luke only sees the ghosts when not sober. Uh, When not sober... So you think that he normally sees this guy when he's high and then for whatever reason he's manifesting now when he's sober and that's what's sort of freaking him out. Um, oh, um, can't, uh, Christine says that's what I thought you, Luke used drugs to numb his senses to the ghost. Um, uh, let's see. Patrick says kind of connected with this episode's non-main character monologue from the runny egg eye crispy girl who tried drugs to avoid trauma. Uh, Candace, scroll down, please. Luke could have paid for his own rehab. Instead, Steve held it over his head. Sorry, Candace, I don't know. Um, when not sober. Oh, asterisk sober. Oh, oh, okay. So Candace is in agreement with my theory. Yeah. Um, and Patrick, yeah, that's what it sort of feels like is this, uh, the man whose monologue opens the episode is really meant to kind of let us know in an indirect way what's going on with Luke later on. Um, And the fact is that when you go through an extreme trauma and nobody is there to help you and you don't understand the reality and nobody will believe you about it in the first place, like literally what is Luke supposed to do to cope with this? go to a psychiatrist and talk about how he sees a ghost and has since he was a kid. Like that's a really good way to get put on medication. That's a really good way to, to have them act as if they believe you when they're humoring you because they are going to figure out what's actually going on because of course they're not going to believe that. So Luke doesn't have a lot of options here. You know, using drugs makes sense. Unfortunately, And this is when I always like have uh, lately I have been trying to keep this quote in mind that I've heard where people talk about uh, the choices that we make and that we're responsible for our choices, which is all true. But people will say that, you know, well, you just have to make good choices. And 
the first step to be making a good choice is having a good choice to make. And not everybody has them. So in Luke's position, what would any of you do? You know, like what would any of us do if we are actually being haunted? And I think probably for me, I would go see somebody to reassure myself that it wasn't some sort of mental illness. Like that's probably how I would approach it. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know, take a gander, gander, take a gamble, gamble. I'm going to gamble that maybe Luke did go down that road already. I just feel like, I don't know, maybe something, maybe somebody tried to force him down that road already for all we know, because as much as this is a Luke centric episode from his POV, we don't see his whole life. There's a really big gap between when he was a kid and this thing happened to him with the bowler hat man. And when he's an adult beginning his therapy and going into rehab. So there's a lot of room in there for all kinds of other stuff to have gone down that we haven't seen. So I just, there's too much unknown yet for me to really like want to theorize about it. Um, so, okay. Um, I have to turn the sound down on this. Okay. I don't need a fucking terrifying opening like I did when I forgot to turn the sound down on the other one and just got my ears blasted out. Um, so what is fun about this? And I say fun, you know, not really meaning fun, but there it is. Um, Luke is celebrating his three month, 90 day chip, I think it is, which, uh, when he does his like little speech in front of the meeting, he tells them it has taken 10 years for him to get 10 years to get just 90 days sober, which is so excruciating. You know, (sighs) anybody who has coped with this sort of thing knows this is just like, it becomes just your life. Your life is just battling this thing over and over again. And that is part of the monologue later when, um, what's her name? Joey comes over to dinner at Steve's place and Steve is a huge dick. So he is thanking her for her support. And we cut from there to him as a little boy And he's got the drawing of the scary, like, the thing that attacked him in the basement. And I will say, guys, I know that, like, creepy kids' drawings are a trope. But I I have to give this show some credit with how restrained they are with it. Because there are a lot of movies and things that I've seen where they just rely on it so much. And they make they create like drawings that are allegedly done by a child. And it's like, look, I get that it's sloppy, but that still isn't a kid didn't draw that. Like that's kind of incredible and could be sold for money. That isn't how that would look. And I really appreciate that Luke's drawings as a kid feel like kids drawings and they still get across that something weird's happening, but they don't feel super dramatic. There's nothing about them. That's like, 
so sinister that it stops you dead in your tracks and you go, wow, what's going on with this kid? You know, it's not like that. And I just really appreciate that because that trope can be abused, I feel like almost in, it can be a crutch. Um, So I really just, they don't do it the way that I was worried about and I appreciate it. So he's got this drawing of the guy in the basement and he lines up a bunch of his uh, soldiers around this drawing and counts to seven. And we find out later that this is a coping mechanism that he created that he believes keeps him safe. And I really love it because there's an implication that it has worked in the past, which I always, you know, assume if you believe something enough, whether or not there's anything behind it, the faith is the thing that matters. So yeah, he invented this thing. This isn't something that exists in like a religion, but because he has such sincere belief in it, it works anyway. It doesn't matter. And I'm interested to see how this manifests because he winds up teaching it to Nell a little bit later. And I don't, I really wonder if Nell will take it and use it also. I think that she seems like the kind of little girl who would listen to him about this. Um, But we know that shit fucks with her a lot more than anyone else, just from the little bits that we have seen. So maybe it's not as effective as it is for Luke, or maybe she just doesn't go to it instinctively the way he does since it was his own idea. Um, But anyway, yeah, this is the scene where he brings the drawing to his dad. His dad tells him that there's nothing down there. And reminder, in Theo's episode, we saw her touching her father's or him grabbing her arm and a flash of memory. It seems like that she's seeing from him of a body buried in a wall. And I am going to go ahead and guess that that body is like in the basement wall. So, you know, it somehow came out and fucked with poor Luke and it is down there, but it won't turn up at a, uh, you know, on a, cursory search where you're just emptying barrels out and whatnot. Um, so he tries, and again, I've said before that I really do think that these parents are, are actually pretty good parents. So I'm not trying to be like, Oh, what a bad father, because I don't know how I'd handle this, but I do appreciate that when he tells him it's normal to have imaginary friends and, all of this, Luke says, but, and I thought his dad was just going to be like, Luke, dude, it's not real. And like, you know, repeat himself. And instead he, you can see he's a little bit frustrated because he's got shit to do, but he stops and says, go ahead. I'm listening. And I was like, oh, okay. That's pretty good. You know, just like giving your kid your full attention and stopping for a second and being like, obviously you're agitated because you keep bringing this up. So I'm going to take it seriously because it's important to you. I wish it wasn't immediately followed up with. This is what, this is for big boys who know the difference between what's real and not. But in the moment I was actually pleasantly surprised. Um, So this is when he starts to say the house is bad. 
And they get unfortunately interrupted by his mother coming down the stairs. And I was just like, God damn it. Let him say the house is bad. Let's talk about this. So she comes down the stairs and she asks, Sue, has anybody seen Nellie? And she has a box of really cool old buttons that Nell apparently would enjoy playing with. It's interesting here because everything in this so far, we've got a box in the, like, because reminder in the first episode or no second episode that Shirley is in and it's like her POV. There's a box that the kittens buried in that her mother sort of like digs out from somewhere And when she has the vision of her mother in the mortuary, she is holding it on her lap. Then when Theo is given her gloves, they're in this kind of like elaborate box that was a little bit much, honestly. I was like, you could just hand your kid some gloves. I don't know. Um, Then there's this box of buttons for Nell. But he gets this hat. He doesn't get a box. And I'm wondering if that is like significant in any particular way that it's like a different symbol for him or if it matters. I don't know, like if I'm reading into it too much, but yeah, his dad gives him this hat and he, it's just one of those moments again, where he, you can see him clamping down on his feelings as he accepts the big boy hat. He is so adorable. This little kid just crushes my heart into tomato paste. It's just, he's so sweet. And, um, later on, it turns out that somebody wants that shit. So here is a moment that I was in like, while watching it going, that's not any, that's not the right term for this. What is their mother's and father's names? If anybody wants to remind me. Um, Let's see. Candace says, to be honest, I'm curious about the ghost man the hat belonged to. Olivia and Hugh. Okay. Thank you, Candace. Um, And Christine. Olivia finds this really pretty fringed black shawl that's floral. I am a sucker for florals on a black background. And she wraps herself in it. And then she tells her husband, I'm having a deja vu right now. And proceeds to tell him in detail about how this room was used at one point in a way that's similar to what how Theo's powers seem to also work. And that is not a deja vu. A deja vu is personally having a moment of feeling like you've lived this exact moment already. Like this has all happened before. That is, it's like a deja vu means something specific. And so she says she's having a deja vu moment. And then she just talks about, and I'm like, okay, so I guess that's just how she's, what she calls them for her husband's sake. But I don't know why, because it seems like he's pretty aware of exactly what is happening here. So I don't know. But um, 
But yeah, she says two tables, advancing colors, four reading areas, case goods and leather, um, a mom and dad sitting in reading chairs that face each other, smaller ones for two, no, 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 three kids who share an open center for play. The kids' books are on the lower shelf, so even the little boy with the wheelchair can reach his favorites. And he's like, that's very specific. And I don't know, maybe she, maybe he doesn't know what this, what she means when she says deja vu. I just feel like it's, oh, uh, see, Patrick says, I think that that's how she's sensitive. And she kind of lets slip to her husband at that moment, how much she's actually seeing in the vision. Okay. So Patrick, you don't think that her husband really gets it. I guess based on his, like, wow, that was really specific, I interpreted it the first time as him being like, you're seeing more in this vision than you normally see. But looking at their body language this time, it f I think you're right, because she seems, when he says that's really specific, she seems sort of, like, a little bit taken aback like she got shaken out of whatever she was seeing and realizes that she like maybe said too much so I think that you're probably right um so this is when we cut back to Luke in the present and he is meeting uh, or he is sitting and talking to Joey and it's very clear that they have a strong connection there is not anything actually sexual going on, but there's probably a major attraction between the two of them. They just frown on relationships and rehab for a lot of very valid reasons, and they are not participating in anything like that. But you really get the vibe that if they were to leave here and go live their lives, they would likely wind up in a relationship. You know, it's just... So... This, uh, this scene, I just have to mention this. Luke is talking about how he can't, he's not going to call Steve and tell him about the 90 day chip because Steve won't believe him because they never do. And it's kind of their thing. And for at first, when he says this, I was like, well, you have like stolen a lot. And lied a lot. But then I realized when he says that's kind of their thing, that really isn't necessarily what he is even referring to. They like, he has just gone through this, this whole life of them not believing. And as the counselor is standing by the doorway, talking to him and says something about Nell and how Nell believed in him. This dude walks in. I cannot tell you guys why, but he's a very tall, very slender. I think he's black. Yeah, he is. He, for some reason, because of how gangly he was, I found him very unnerving when he like walked in very suddenly and he was so much taller than the counselor who was standing by the door. And I keep thinking that it's that dude with the bowler hat on. 
Like, and I don't mean like Luke's vision is this. I mean, the actual actor who is sharing this like scene with him here is the same actor that is in the bowler hat and everything later. Cause he's just so tall. Um, Luke is also very tall and they look like they're nearly the same height here, but I just wonder if that is true at all. And I don't know, you know, I don't want to look up anything on IMDb and risk spoiling myself for anything else. But, uh, yeah, as soon as like, cause when he walked in, when I was doing the live watch, I was like, woof. Ooh, there's something about how like tall and skinny that guy is that's really freaking me out. And then when we see the bowler hat man, I was like, that looks like that dude. Oh my god. So Luke goes to bed and he wakes up with that pain in his neck, the same way that all of his siblings did, which is pretty notable that whatever Nell experienced was so extreme here that everybody felt it, even though it tends to be only Luke that has that sort of connection with her. And when he sits up in bed, Nell is standing at the foot of his bed. And she looks at him and I was waiting for her to do the fucking creepy thing that she did did with Steve. But she doesn't. She just tells him, go. And then she disappears. And it's really hard for me to know what she means by just go leave this place go to the house go where like go where what does she even want him to do um because i'll say this his mother appears later and she clearly wants him to come back to the house but that doesn't seem like his actual mother that's something wearing his mother's face at least in my opinion but this seems like it's actually Nell and I don't want her to be telling him to go to the house I want her to not want anybody going anywhere near that place ever again because she knows what it can do to people I don't know you know um so yeah he has this moment and when he wakes up in the morning there is a note under his pillow and we find out that Joey left treatment in the middle of the night. And it's kind of weird because the conversation that he has with Joey, she, he, he's telling her about the whole thing with like his fourth step and trying to, the point of the fourth step is to do a uh, fearless moral inventory. Basically, you face all of the shit you've done in your life. And as somebody who has done this step myself, it sucks. It's the worst. And he's talking to her about this and he wants to know how far back he should go and then brings up living in a haunted house. And the way that he says that He's joking around, but there's a sense like she he's already mentioned it to her. Like this isn't meant to be something to start conversation like she knows. When he looks up, she's studying the cigarette that's burning in her hand in a very considering sort of way that I found weird. And he asks, something's bothering you tonight. And she says, what could possibly be bothering me in a place like this? And I just wonder if there's something that he said that for some reason struck her here. 
I like I don't know. I can't tell if anything that he said had anything to do with it or if it's a completely unrelated thing. Um, but yeah, so the fact that she disappears, I was sort of feeling like she actually might have like committed suicide or something in the night. The fact that she just bailed was better in some ways. And Luke gets sort of put on the spot at a meeting like that they have talking about the fact that she bailed in a way that I just felt was really inappropriate. I don't feel like it was handled well. Everyone knows that he has a particular connection to her. And I think it would have been a lot more compassionate and effective to talk to him one-on-one about how he's doing with this instead of making it like the group is all sort of watching him and judging him. I understand their concern about people making like stronger connections than might be healthy, but there's a way to address that after you've already spoken with him. So it doesn't feel like it's you plus the group completely ganging up on this guy after he's just found out something really upsetting, genuinely upsetting. You know, she had nine months sobriety. He was looking up to her in a way that, when you find out somebody who seems to be so much farther ahead than you can wind up in exactly the same place, that can be incredibly discouraging just as on the face of it, never mind your connection to that person. So I just thought like that whole scene, I was like, what is, what is the deal with handling it this way? It just, to me was not, if, if I don't know how this sort of thing would actually work. But I have to think that somebody who is a professional would know this would cause a person to become really defensive and angry. And it's wild that they thought this was the way to handle it. And inevitably, he says, like, oh, I I need some air. And he gets up and leaves group. And he winds up going after her, which, like, duh, you guys just basically were like, well, this is what you get because you're not supposed to care anyway. Like, and he rightfully asks, how are we supposed to do this without friends? And I, you know, I, I get their concerns. And again, they're not wrong, but they're some compassion for fuck's sake, you know? So he goes after her and he, um, I think he has her cell phone and tries to give her a call. Oh no, he calls Nell because he doesn't know that she's dead and leaves a message with her telling her that he's okay and that he's clean and things are going all right. And you can see him being a little bit like there's this pain in his neck that he doesn't know what's going on with him. We all understand what's happening. And he's walking around here at this spot, which it turns out is one of Joey's spots. He knows the places that she goes and he waits for her because he just expects her to turn up here. And he's looking around at all of the various people who are milling about it seems like this is a spot for a lot of addicts a lot of like unhoused people and you can see some deals going down and whatnot and i almost thought that there was going to be a temptation for him and it i was really surprised it doesn't seem like there's any temptation for luke to to get anything and use anything i really thought he was going to battle with that a little here you're being immersed in this like environment again you know, and that's not what's going on. This is when he looks over and he sees a man very, very tall wearing a 
extremely long winter coat that like goes down to the back of his calves and pants that are weirdly like sort of high waters and uh, just like what looks to be like lace up loafers and a bowler hat. I'm seeing this guy now. I think from the back, this guy looks white. So I think it isn't the same actor actually that was in the room with him. And at this moment, as he's staring at this guy, they do one of those like sort of cheap things with the jump scare because a dog starts barking out of nowhere. But there's a vibe almost like the dog is barking at Luke because it senses his connection to whatever the fuck this thing is that's following him. So this is when we get the scene. Luke's in bed and he wakes up again, everybody doing shit that I cannot fathom in this show because they are willing to walk around in this house at night, which just will never cease to amaze me. I would probably pee my bed every single night because I would wake up having to pee and I would just refuse to leave my fucking bed. Like that would just be it. I'd have to get waterproof sheets and just basically, or maybe I'd get like a chamber pot and just like pee right next to my bed. But honestly, like getting out of bed at all, that just feels like it's a real danger. So this is when he starts hearing this like clunking. And as that happens, the crickets stop. It says like in the subtitles, crickets stop chirping. So he goes to investigate. And when I was watching this live, you guys, first of all, the whole, the fact that he goes out to investigate was immediately a fucking problem for me. But then you see what's actually out there. And I'll tell y'all what, this might be one of the scarier ghost figures I've ever seen. It's just so eerie. It's so eerie in such a variety of ways. This figure looks to be about nine feet tall. It's about the size of two people put together. And the suggestion is definitely that the bowler hat dude that follows him around in life is this guy. But this in the hallway looks different. The bowler hat dude in the house is much more uncanny because there's a combo of things here. First of all, it's just how sheerly tall he is. Secondly, he has really, really long arms that you know, there's a, because of how tall he is, my instinct was to think that it was like somebody sitting on somebody else's shoulders to get this effect. But when you see the length of his arms, his hands would be around his knees if he were to just have his arms at rest by either side of his body. And I cannot see his head. Like, it's too, I, I turned the brightness up on my screen as high as it would go while I'm watching this right now because I'm trying to get a sense of what this figure even looks like. And it almost gives the feeling of somebody with like a stocking cap o like pulled over their head because the features are just super indistinct. There's nothing to be seen. They seem bald. 
And you can sort of see the outline of an ear, but that's really it. And he's opening doors, going from one door to another. And he is propelling himself down the hallway like he's a fucking, like this is Venice and he's standing in some pontoon like a gondolier propelling himself along because he's floating just like six inches off the ground. And y'all, that is that genius? That is so creepy. I just, everything about the design of this particular dude is incredibly frightening to me. All of it is just so, I hate it. So rightfully, Luke goes running back into the bedroom and he hides under the bed and you see this figure open the door and slowly begin to come into the room. And again, with the fact that these are like high water pants, the whole look of this dude is just off. Everything about it is off. It might even be a woman. Like, I, I, I genuinely can't tell. I think it's a dude. Um, and it takes the hat back. It, like, has come in for its hat and takes it back, puts it on its head. And you have a sort of, like, moment of, oh, good, okay. It just wanted its hat back. And now it has it and it's going to go and leave him alone. It does not. He can't help but make a sound as this creature is leaving the room. And I think it was a sneeze, something, doesn't matter. This thing stops and turns around. The fucking dread, y'all. They really take their time with this scene. From beginning to end, I think it may be like a full six minutes, maybe even longer. Which, you know, out of this episode, that's a fair amount of time. So I covered my face when this thing puts his hand under the corner of the bed. And I didn't see what happened. Ah, there's the face. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, that's horrifying. Ew, I hate it. And it... I don't know if it did anything to him because the the memory cuts off there, but you know, I mean, it doesn't need to do anything. It just came and like was about to pull the bed completely up to get at you. It looked like that's enough. So this is when Luke finds Joey and confronts her and is just like, dude, you have to come back with me. And he calls the rehab center and it's awful because you can tell that the woman who is in charge feels for him and feels for Joey too. But they have a strict policy that if you bail, they have a wait list and somebody else is going to get your spot. You decided to forfeit yours and that's your decision and you have to live with it. So they don't have anywhere to go. And it seems pretty clear that Joey is interested in coming down off of the, like, he thinks, off of the high that she's currently experiencing. So he's, he first goes to Steve's house because he doesn't even know that Steve and his wife are separated. And when he's there, he has a memory of having dinner there with Joey. 
And it's really awful because Joey, first of all, Steve is such an asshole, like in so many ways in the scene. He's an asshole to Luke privately, just basically being like, you don't know much about her and what, you know, what can she do to you? And people burn each other all the time just because you like them or because they love you doesn't mean they won't really pointedly, which just, you know, it's just so mean spirited in a way that's so unhelpful. And I understand the bitterness that Steve has after all of this time, but I really, this is more just about him wanting to air a grievance of his own than to actually warn his brother. This is not about being helpful. This is about venting frustration. And that's not really accomplishing anything except making him feel shitty. So at this point, we have, there's a scene where his brother is talking to Joey about the insanity of trying something over and over again and expecting a different result. And it's so, uh, again, this is something that you hear when you are somebody who struggles with these sorts of things because people, it's wild. The same people who will talk about it's insanity to try the same thing over and over again and expect a different result are also the same people who will just be like, don't give up, never quit. And like, what do you think that looks like? It's trying over and over again. That's the only, that's all you've got. What do you just do? Give up? Well, then what you die. So what, what exactly is the alternative that you're suggesting, my dude? You know, it's this criticism that's like, again, incredibly unhelpful and not really rooted in anything that's informative or any sort of suggestion. It's simply meant to make them feel bad or to second guess themselves or, you know, any number of things that it's just like, do you think that the very people who have been the ones experiencing falling back in and out of addiction don't know that there's a chance it may not stick this time do you think they aren't aware of that what exactly are you doing guy who are you who who are you talking to what what are you doing go away i was just so disgusted with him the whole attitude that he has in this scene it was toxic and it's so understandable why Luke feels as unsupported as he does. And I really want to know, like it had to have been Steve's wife's suggestion that they come for dinner. That That's the only explanation because Steve does not seem to want either of them here. And I don't know. And there's a mention of kids. Um, Joey brings them up and that I think based on the like look that Steve exchanges with his wife and how kind of cagey she is, is being about the reason for them splitting up. I have to assume that it's because he doesn't want kids. Cause like, you know, we had that whole scene with him driving and talking to her and she says like, you know what you need to say. And I guess that 
maybe it's okay, I'll have kids with you. And I find that to be just incredibly poor judgment. Like, I hope that's not actually true, that she would just take him back if he said, okay, I want to have kids. Because, like, there is no greater recipe for unhappiness than forcing somebody into fatherhood that doesn't want to be a father. Oh, my God. How terrible a dad would he be if he actively didn't want this and you sort of blackmailed him into it by using your relationship as the bait? Talk about just fostering a resentment between him and the children before they're even born. Like, no. So I think that's what it is, but also, like, her entire way of approaching it feels really not wise to me either. And if Steve doesn't want to have kids after what he has gone through and what he has seen happen, I mean, when you have been failed by your own parent, which is clearly what he feels happened, it's really hard to feel like you want to take the risk of doing that to another living being that is going to be dependent on you. And I, just a lot of people I know who have trauma related to their parents, just they don't want to risk inflicting that on anyone else. So they don't want to have kids. And I'm just in the position where I like, I can't imagine, I'm so far outside of where I would like to be with the way I live my life. And I can't imagine adding a kid into this equation. Like, are you kidding? I just don't know. I would keep them alive. I think I could do that. But beyond that, I feel like I would be just incredibly inadequate. Um, let's see. NJ says the Steve Luke stuff in that flashback is so hard to watch because you're identifying with Luke in the moment and Steve is being a little extra with his dickishness, but I've also been Steve with the unresolved anger and bitterness and disappointment. And well, and that's the thing is like, you understand where Steve is coming from, but it's just like, well, then don't ask him to come to dinner. You can draw those boundaries. And it just feels like if you can't keep a wrap on your on your rage then you need to take some time and that's okay um so yeah you know and uh candace says had steve given luke his share he might have paid for his own rehab yeah that's another thing i had mentioned like in that scene luke isn't even there steve doesn't offer him any of the money and i have to imagine that steve sort of feels like we already gave you plenty of money you don't get more money but I don't know. Maybe at the time when they were going to, they were, maybe they were pouring a lot of that money into the rehab anyway. Um, Cause I think maybe Luke wasn't there because he was in rehab at the time, but I may be wrong about that. But yeah, it definitely did not go, you know, unnoticed to me that Luke doesn't get any. Um, so anyway, he gets a, uh, like Steve's new address from Steve's ex-wife, soon to be ex-wife. And uh, he, this is when we have the whole thing where he breaks into Steve's place and tries to steal the iPad and the camera and gets caught. And, you know, in the moment when we watch this from Steve's perspective, I tended to give Luke the benefit of the doubt when he says, it's not for what you think. I was like, you know what? I believe you that it's not for what he thinks because shit's real weird right now. And you're the twin of the girl who just killed herself. So I bet it isn't for what it looks like. But there is no way if I were actually Steve in that position that I would doubt it was for exactly what it looked like. So he gives Luke money instead. 
And as soon as he goes out there and he shows the money to Joey and I saw the look on her face, I was like, this bitch is going to take that money. It just, she gets this, like, there's a, an, an avarice in her eyes. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And sure enough, she sort of like plays on getting close to him and kissing him in order to sort of distract him and reaches into his pocket, steals the money. He waits for her and you see him like have this little smile because he can't help but be happy. He can't. It's so sad. You know, he really thinks that she like made a move on him in a serious way. And, you know, eventually he comes to realize that she claimed she was just going to go pee, but she hasn't come back. And then he reaches in his pocket and realizes the money is gone. And we go back in uh, to him accepting his 90 day chip and him talking about how he has never had to feel the kind of betrayal that his family has felt from him. And he hopes that he never will. And then, you know, of course he is experiencing that right now. And it's just really awful. Like this whole thing, it is a lesson that is important. I think to be able to like actually experience what you've put someone else through. But I understand, like, why life may feel like it has to do this to us. But sometimes I'm really like, no, maybe I just get it. Maybe I just understand that I was wrong and I don't need to go through the exact thing. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be enough? And he then begins looking all over for her. And this is when the, him being followed by the uh, bowler hat is really beginning to ramp up. And also he is starting to get colder and colder and stiffer. And as he describes it to Steve a little bit later, it feels like he's detoxing, but he like he hasn't used. And so he can't really understand what the fuck is going on. And uh, eventually we have him at night well, first he's like wandering around. He gets beat up. It's like dawn, I think, when this happens. And his shoes and jacket get stolen. And he calls the center and tells them, I need, like, please do something. Help me out. And it turns out that Steve is there because he came to talk to Luke about the news about Nell. And he's when we cut to Luke after the phone call, he's counting to himself. And this is when we get the scene of him explaining to Nell how he uses the counting as a tool. And he does it with buttons, each of the buttons in the box that he pulls out. And he like says each one, this is so-and-so. And it's fun to me because when he touches each of them and tells her who each button is, I feel like they probably purposely took the buttons and chose which one was going to be the uh, representation of whom, because the one that's Theo is like a lot more like sparkly and sort of uh, noticeable, more pretty than the others. So, and I, I love when he says, you know, the counting, sometimes you have to do it a lot. <laughs> He's like, you know, it doesn't just work the first time. Um, 
But yeah, this whole thing is really sweet. And then we have to go to the not sweet part. He's being followed down the street. And bowler hat guy is behind him. And Steve stops walking. And bowler hat slides up right behind him so that they are like back to back, which I fucking hated. Oh, I hated it. This gliding. I just don't like the gliding. And Luke has a moment where he's like, you know what? Fuck you. And he turns around. There's a real sense of like, God damn it. Screw this, you know? And he turns around and his mother is standing there in the bowler hat and like this sort of old timey dress. And she says, come home, my love. And she opens her eyes and light pours out of her eyes. And then it turns into the headlights of the car that Steve and the counselor are in. I was so sure that we were going to get her eyes blinking twice, like the porch light, uh, because she's saying, come home. So I thought we were going, you know, like the porch light blinks twice, come home. And they don't do that. And I was just really surprised. I was like, well, that's just been built into everything. Why wouldn't you? But they don't. Um, and this is when he tells Steve about what he's experiencing and that it feels like he's coming down from using and he wraps his arms around Steve and is sobbing, talking about how he couldn't help her. And it sounds like he's talking about Nell. Like you wouldn't realize if you didn't know what happened with Joey, you'd almost be like, did he already find out? How did he find out? You know, like if I were Steve, I don't, I'd wonder. And this is when he says, I'm so cold. I didn't use my arms and legs are stiff. It's like, and his acting here is just so good. Um, it's like withdrawal, but I didn't use. And this is when Steve tells him that Nell is dead. And he just, it's like, so without any ceremony, he just kind of like, dumps it. You've got to come with me. You've got to come with me, Luke. What? Why? It's Nell. And then she's dead. Nell's dead. And I was like, man, I really wanted you to do this in a little softer way. But also considering the circumstance, I don't know. And this moment is when poor Luke backs up and recontextualizes everything. You can see his brain beginning to put the pieces together as he realizes that what he's been feeling all day, the cold, the stiffness, the crick in his neck is all due to what Nell went through. And he asks Steve how, and Steve says she killed herself. And he says, no, Stevie, she didn't. And that is, or no, it wasn't. It, uh, it was suicide. He says, no, it wasn't. And I just love that. I love his acting is so great. It's amazing to think of him being the same dude that plays the like, you know, con artist in Bly Manor. 
Um, and I really love when he says everything he's been feeling and then you believe me, right? And he looks at Steve and there's a vibe from Steve of like, you can feel his regret because Steve just saw a ghost for the first time. There's no explanation for what the fuck happened. So I have to assume that there is a part of Steve that's beginning to realize that maybe there were times when his brother was telling the fucking truth and his asking, you believe me, right? is like about more than just what he's going through right now. So I just, I don't know. I felt like I got something off of Steve in that moment. That was like some regret, you know? Um, let's see. Christine says, are all the actors in blind man or no, no, a few of them cross over, but definitely not all of them. Um, so yeah, that is the end of the episode. So, <sighs> I guess I'm going to have to do a live watch for the next one because I'm sure as fuck not watching that on my own. I don't know when I'm going to do it. I might just do it tonight because uh, I don't really have any other plans for this evening. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled, but no, no promises. I don't really know what I plan on doing. Um, but yeah, I just can't watch alone. I can't do it, you guys. Ugh, Bly Manor was hard enough. And I really feel that Bly Manor is a lot less scary than this is. I just don't think that it's nearly as bad. It's extremely spooky, but there aren't the like, there's something about the types of ghosts we get in this that feel a lot more unnerving. And ugh, I don't know. So, all right, I have to wrap this up. But thank you again, Candice, for commissioning this. Thank you all for hanging out with me. I appreciate you. And uh, I will be seeing you soon with a new episode. Until then, toodaloo, motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast.